Geltman and Wells on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. What do you mean? What was so defining about that? I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> oh, it had a lasting <laughs> impact on me. <laughs> That's just weird. When we can get Nikki Kelly come on? She said she'd want, she would come on anytime. God, I'd love to just have her talk about you for a little bit. That would, that would be a treat. Why? I just think it would be wonderful to see what it's like to be in a relationship with John Grace, especially in those circumstances, which were pretty crazy, right? <laughs> they were I definitely mean, not... pretty intense. Yeah. Oh, she'd come on the show. And I have a feeling she'd be no no holds barred. She would be I think... unfiltered. Yes. Yes. <laughs> For sure. She would be yes. unfiltered. What's Geltman's timeline here? Um, he says uh, he's on a conference call, but we'll drop a line when ready. Let's just go ahead and get started. We don't have Sam Davis on the line, but we'll get him shortly, I'm sure. All right. All right, welcome to Hammer Factor, episode 77. 77. If we make it to 100, it will be an absolute miracle. Let's, let's do it. Episode 77, um, we got us a hell of a show lined up. We've got a green race coming up, so this will be the uh, start of me constantly talking about that. Uh, Upper Yawk race update uh, with Carrot Weld. Sounds like uh, it was a good race up there. We have a first-hand account of what sounds like a dramatic rescue and kind of the positive story we all need right now with the rescue at uh, the Kanawha Falls. On the Gali River. Kanawha. Yeah, this is a scoop. I feel like this is a scoop right here. Yeah, I can't wait to hear this. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. So the two people who we have on the show, one was the re main rescuer and one was the main rescuee. They have not spoken since the rescue. Um, so it's going to be interesting to hear both their accounts from the different angles of everything was going on. We have Meme Booth on the show. Well, how did you line up Meme Booth for the Hammer Factor? Uh, it's not easy. I mean, it's, there's a lot of back-channel dealings. I don't... Meme Booth's pretty elusive. I don't think many people know who Meme Booth is. I don't but, know uh, who Meme Booth is. I... It's, well, actually, it's, it's Mr. Booth to you. I don't <laughs> think you're quite there yet, but okay. I mean, literally, here on the Skype... It is Meme Booth who we're engaging. So to me, it's still gonna, anonymous. Are we going to see Meme Booth's face? I hope not. You know, I hope I hope not either. I want Meme Booth to be. I have an idea of who Meme Booth is, and I don't want it shattered. He's like ABRG. Exactly. If we who all... is ABRG? Exactly. All right, I'm right there with you. Um, he's going to give us an update on the COVID outbreak in banks and all things meme booth 
Uh, we've got policy Let's... updates, listener mail, and of course, everyone's favorite rants and raves. <clears throat> so, Mr. Weld, what have you been up to? Well, greetings from uh, greetings from Maui again. <laughs> oh, look who's here! Look who magically comes in! Oh, I didn't even introduce our our host here, but that's perfect. Hello. Ah. All Mayday. right, all right. You Looky know. there. Looky there. Just anyway, like as I was saying, greetings from greetings from Maui, guys. Are we recording already? Yeah, yeah. we're already hot into this. Let me introduce uh, my co-host. My name is John Grace, producer here at the Hammer Factor. We have Lewis Geltman, policy director for the Outdoor Alliance, and John Weld, whitewater legend, owner of Re- Immersion Research. Episode seventy-seven. Lewis, you missed a little bit of stuff there at the beginning. Um, primarily, what's going to be in the show. So we got that's, a good show lined up for you. The free show is the only part that I actually legitimately enjoy. The rest <laughs> of it is just, you know, whatever. All right. I'm, I'm, I am excited. Less, I am excited to be here for another celebration of bro culture. Unless team, <laughs> unless team beer is on, in which case Lewis cannot cannot get enough. Uh, so true. He's like a uh, the paddling equivalent of a believer. <laughs> that's right. Team booth. Uh, Lewis, what have you been up to? What kept you from the Hammer Factor? Um, I was on a call about the Public Lands Renewable Energy Development Act, which I'm trying to, I don't know, jump back into the middle of the conversation thought, on that one. But I thought you're done. You did the land whatever conservation thing. That's it. You're done. Relax. No, I, I, I regret to inform you that everything is still fucked. Nah. I feel like we had we had like a sweet moment of sunshine there and got our pats on the back and I was just yeah I was just thinking we need to record this more often because it's like so much has happened since the last time we actually got everybody on the phone it's like I feel like I'm well past our our high of actually getting something positive done <laughs> and back into the pain cave <laughs> well I just gotta share with you guys something that Hillicky sent to me last night it's the guide to perpetual stoke and if you know Tommy, he probably lives by this more literally than most would believe. But number one, be stoked. Okay. Number two, be stoked because you are stoked in an endless feedback cycle. Number three, realize uh, that you control how much stoke you derive from any external input. So get really stoked <sighs> about any little thing. Number four, get stoked knowing you'll be stoked in the future. And most importantly, number five, in a situation where it's hard to be stoked, realize that even if you're a little stoked, it merits merits being more stoked incrementally until you are at full stoke. Oh God! We've reached like the like Stuart Smalley stage of bro culture now. That was fully the seventies. You just get like a poster with like a cat hanging from a tree that just hang in there. <laughs> That was it. That's all. You, I mean, you just that's it. I like so, to. I like to just like close my eyes and envision James Bird, and that that usually gets me there. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Or any of the rest of Team Beer. Uh, all right. So let's see if I can get our guests on the show here. 
they jumping on here between like CNN hits at this point? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They have been all over the news we, cycle. We, these boys. We totally, we totally snuck past the Today Show producers. <laughs> yeah, we're like running I... around like who the hell's Hammer Factor? <laughs> There's like a whole team of interns trying to Google us right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do it with something because you're usually not such a stickler on the punctuality, Grace. I'm not. Actually, that's not true. You're always early. I take that back. Come on, I'm hey, on the game here. Hey, Corey, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? All right, we got you loud and clear. You sound better than all the rest of the host. <laughs> right on. Um, and then it looks like we also have Sam Davis. Are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. Okay, so we have uh, Corey. Do you have a any chance we can get some video there on your feed? Sometimes it makes it a little easier to talk. If not, it's no big deal. Yeah, how do I let's see? Um, oh, there we are. Right on. Cool. All right. Yep. So, do you guys? Okay. So let me give a little backstory here. So there was a rescue that made its rounds first on social media, and then it seemed like it was on every news show local news station there in west virginia and then next thing you know i'm seeing it on bigger and bigger outlets and these boys have been kind of inundated with i mean everything from i believe Corey, you've been talking to the governor of the state is that is that correct i did not talk directly to the governor but he gave me a shout out okay um yeah so anyway uh what happened was there was a pretty dramatic rescue at, am I saying this right well, Kanawha Falls? Kanawha. Kanawha Falls? Yep. yep. At Kanawha Falls on the Gali. Um, Kanawha River. Oh, the Kanawha River. That's below the confluence. It's when right? the new and Gali come together. Yeah, below the confluence. And it was dramatic in the way that it was sort of started out as all was lost and all was right in the world. And this is the first time these two boys have spoke. Uh, one was the rescuee, one was kind of part of the rescue. And if you guys are fine, I would like to get right into it. Sam, can you lead us off um, and just kind of tell us a little bit about your kayaking background, where you're from, that kind of thing, and what how everything started that day okay yeah so i'm from tennessee i grew up on a farm outside of nashville here um i went to school in knoxville and so i actually went to college on a golf scholarship originally and very quickly realized that i didn't love it and i had wanted to learn how to paddle for years and didn't know how to break into that community or to do that and so i became a raft guide at the nanahala on the other side of the mountains from Knoxville there. Um, and there was a really strong group of paddlers there at the time. Um, they got me into boating and, you know, I, I wanted to be good enough to go up to the Cascades and, and boat with those guys because they never wanted to boat with me on the Nanahala. So I, yeah, I, I, I found my passion for the first time in my life and have been paddling ever since. I do freelance work for ESPN and like SEC Network doing sports production during the fall and the winter. And then I raft guide in the summers. So I've got five seasons. Now I guided my last season. I guided, I didn't guide this summer with COVID and everything going on, but I guided last season um, on in Glenwood Springs on the Colorado in the Roaring Fork. Um, but yeah, so five, five seasons raft guiding, um, paddling all the time, especially being in the Southeast, you know, we get to boat all winter off the rain. Um, 
So and all summer the last few years. Yeah, yeah, it's been well. I've been in Colorado last summer. I had never seen so much water as was in Colorado last summer. It was we were running Obi Joyful in the middle of July at high water. You know, it was heck of a year to be in Colorado. Um, but yeah, so that's a little bit about my background and me boating. As far as the day went, I paddled the upper golly. Um, and my RPM, I would say, is probably my best day on the golly in four years. Um, Sweet. Kind of bounced around from groups to group. Um, I started with a group, um, and they had some first-timers um, that were kind of struggling and having some swims, like at NSIG and things. And I hooked up with another group and went downstream rather than wait on them. And that was a lot of the crew that was supposed to meet me at Kanawha Falls that afternoon. That was the plan. We were supposed to be there. Um I waited at Woods Ferry for like over an hour and made the decision to go over there on my own. Um, just from having boat, I, I did like 28 laps in two days at Golly Fest last year and I've boated it a lot, but never alone and never that high. And it was a terrible, terrible, terrible decision to go out there alone. So just as, just as a background, Kanawha Falls is downstream of the Golly and it's like, like Corey was saying, it's where the two river new golly meet, but it's basically flat water, then a waterfall, and then flat water. It's something like Valley Falls if you've been there, except there's just one waterfall. Yeah. It's it's kind of a unique feature. You kind of drive, it's just like a park and hug type situation. Yeah, I parked at the lake and I paddled across. I ran the drop by the dam and then um, paddled over and hiked up to run the high flow drop. Um, scouted it, ran it really far left the first time, had a good line walked back up and didn't get as far left this time and really kind of got pushed into that curler and melted middle. Um, or I might have even been just left of the curler when I came off even, but I plugged in the hole pretty hard. And it, so, so how high is the falls? Like how big, how big, big, big a vertical drop is it? What do you think, Corey? Like 15 feet? 15 feet at its vertical. It's about a like 10-foot cascading drop into the 15-foot drop. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the whole worked me and typewritered me right. By the time I rolled up on the boils, I was at this, the, the new veil that was forming over the pocket there. And I kind of got, like, as soon as I rolled up, I got kind of squirted and was trying to avoid that and avoid the wall. But I hit the wall and I went right under the wall. And as soon as I started to go under the wall, I pulled my skirt because I didn't want to be under there with my boat in my boat. Um, I spent about 45 seconds under there would be my guess. I didn't have my GoPro on. I, I took a picture peeling out of the eddy at the top on accident. Um, so my video wasn't rolling, but I would say it was about 45 seconds. I roofed out like five times trying to come up where I thought, surely to God, I'm going to come out this time. And then I hit the rock again. So... Um, I clawed on the bottom of the rock and just like picked a direction and clawed and I came out, but I was on the pocket side. I could see my boat, um, coming out of the wall, uh, stern first and going the other way once I was getting kind of recirculated back into the pocket. So it's, it's a really weird eddy. I don't know. So the eddy pulls you back up to the top, to the main flow drop. And from there, I'm trying to 
bust as hard as I can to swim, which I mean, when I first came out of the wall, I was seeing purple. I had like a purple haze over everything. I was really out of breath. So I got recirculated in the 80 maybe once or twice before I made an attempt to bust and swim up over the, the seam, over the boil. And I didn't make it. It pulled me deep. I popped up and was going right at the wall again. So I so, swam really. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. Sam. So how far downstream of where the waterfall meets the, the landing is the cave? Like, like give me it's like just... 90 degrees maybe 40 feet to the right okay. yeah okay so you're talking a Probably big like 10 area feet downstream but 40 around. feet to the right yeah okay. but it's it's walled out on one side and it's a heavy boil on the other and like i said there was kind of a new veil that was forming it was high enough that that mm -hmm. veil was the golly bubble was coming in so it added 2800 uh, cfs really quick so that right that veil yeah. is normally not there at levels that yeah, you yeah. typically paddle the veil was there um and so, like, as I would go for the wall, obviously, I didn't want to go under there again. It was one of the most horrific experiences of my life. And that was before the rest of it. That's it started it all. So I would swim really, really hard towards the eddy. But there was a lot of down suction. And then I would hit the veil. The veil would send me deep. I would pop up behind it in the pocket, spit out water, and it'd be taking me for another round. Okay. Okay, so you were just getting cycled, cycled, cycled in this yeah. area that if you didn't kind of commit to going back into the main flow, you were going to go into the cave. I was, yeah, I was going to go under the undercut Under the again. undercut, I should say. Yeah. So. And so you're ending up basically behind the curtain eventually. I mean, that's where this whole thing ends up, with you behind the curtain yeah, of the well, falls there. What happened, okay, so for like an hour, hour and a half, I was getting recirculated because I couldn't get back to the back pocket. There's a back wow. pocket, very corner. <laughs> hour, hour and a half. Okay. We got to put this thing into perspective here. Okay. So at this point you're yeah, an hour, an hour deep. Okay. When yeah, did you hour, arrive hour, at Canal Falls? I mean, in that time there are crimps on the wall and I'm grabbing those crimps and I'm holding as long as I can, but like there's so much current loading on me that I can only hold for so long at a time. Mm hmm. And, and I'm trying to avoid getting lactic while also like trying to hold there long enough to get energy to make the swim over the eddy line again. Mm -hmm. What um, time did you I hit the wall the second boat. time, and I only went under the wall maybe 10 seconds the second time. But that was enough to scare me out of trying to swim across the, the, the boil again. Yeah, I wasn't – I was done after that. So I held on to the crimp, and one of those times holding on the crimp – I looked over and there was like an old rusty like railroad tie type bolt. I don't know if there used to be a mill there back in the day or what it was, but I saw it and I was like, that cracks pretty big. There's nothing to clip to. So then I got ripped off the wall. I did another circulation. I got back on the same crimp and I was able to hold on with one arm, unzip my PFD. I had some extra webbing and a carabiner. And I was able to like hammer it with my fist and the other hand into the crack, kind of wedged in the rock, but also against that bolt. And wow, smart move, man. Hooked that tether on me so then I could just float there and try to get rid of that elasticity and like get some energy. And so all yeah, this that, time, I was really, really, really gassed at this point. Yeah. So, so what, all to, that to take time, a step back, what time? What time did you start? Like, what time does the whole event begin? Six o'clock would be safe. So now it's like 7.30 the, at the night. The last communication I have was at like 5.38, sending a text to Albert before I literally closed the door and put in. Okay. 
you and know, so, it takes like 90 seconds to paddle over to the first drop to walk up. And I mean, I walked up and ran it. You don't have to look at that one as much. Right. So when you're, when you're trying to, to are you trying to decide if you're going to like commit and make the swim in front of this undercut wall or like, what's your plan? Like, where are you trying to swim to all this time? Or are you just trying to like hang on and survive? At this point, I'm trying to hang on because I had been trying to hang on and then swim across the eddy line after the second encounter. Cause it's like, I would get there and then it would take me deep. I had both shoes ripped off in this point, which were like the high top NRS booties zipped and Velcroed on. And it ripped those all the way down off my shins and off my feet. Uh, yeah. This, this area he's in is it's gnarly. Like, especially with the veil coming over. I mean, and so it's like each lap, like you're either going to like make it all the way out and the back of the eddy or right if you... that point where I have to commit to swim away from the undercut at the last second, hit the veil, veil sends me Got deep. Got it. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're going into the veil surfacing and you've got a choice to make it across the eddy line or just duck back into the safety of the area so you don't hit the cave. Yeah, exactly. So okay. what I realized was back in the back corner hanging on the wall in the crimp and looking looking in the back corner there was water that wasn't recirculating forward it was maybe like a five or six feet by four feet area a triangle area that water was boiling up but it wasn't releasing forward towards the drop so i knew i needed to get back there <laughs> i knew i needed to get back there so um i held and had my energy and held on the tether for a while and then I kicked off the wall. It probably took me like another half dozen attempts of like, this time I wasn't ever aiming to get across. I was intentionally trying to swim into the corner of the veil near the wall and go deep. And as I was going in, I was twisting towards the eddy line. Like I was throwing my arms end over end and twisting. And on like the fifth or sixth attempt, I popped up on the boil and then swam like hell for that back corner to get over the boil. And once back there, the, you know, the water was not releasing forward. I was, I couldn't sit, but I was able to get my back up against the wall and my feet kind of up against the, the roof of the crack where they come together like this. So you're so, like chimneyed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I chimneyed for about 20 or 30 minutes. And then that's when I was like, okay, it's getting dark. I'm going to have to fight hypothermia. I need to get out of the water. And I noticed under the surface of the water to the right. So the, the wall that forms the undercut kind of curves back into the corner. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a ledge there at the yep. base of that wall. So I was standing more than ankle deep, less than shin deep, barefoot. It wasn't wide enough to stand foot by foot, but I could stand foot over foot. And I stood there for probably five hours. What, um, what were you wearing? <laughs> Um, I was in a long sleeve thermal shirt and swim trunks. And like I said, my shoes were ripped off, so I was barefoot. Holy smokes. Okay. Corey, let's turn this over to you. Um, so, Corey, who are you? And did you guys know each other before this incident? Uh, first off, Sam, it's nice to meet you, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because this is really the first time I've got to speak to you and uh, what it crazy experience this is kind of right now um my name is Corey lily i'm from west virginia i'm a native here uh many people in the whitewater industry might know me from boof and destroy it's uh, kind of my media project that i do for fun and um i hosted canal falls festival 
and um, helped to make the area popular along with the other boys here in uh, in Fayetteville. And um, so I felt kind of a personal attachment to this uh, area. And I'm sitting on the couch, tired from mountain biking, and I'm just scrolling through Facebook. And uh, there's like this kind of this like guppy Facebook group page called Kayak West Virginia for mainly flatwater kayakers. And uh, this woman, I actually have her name here, Felicia Coiner, I'm probably pronouncing her last name wrong, made a post that said, hey, if you've lost your kayak, it's floating down here below Kanawha Falls. And I saw it. It was like a very distant photo um, in front of the island, in front of High Flow. And I noticed that it was a, uh, a Max, the RPM Max. So I was like, that's a whitewater boat. So I immediately had some suspicion. Um, she was the one that initiated the calls to the authorities because she saw your car in the parking lot um, uh, and there's a boat missing. So she kind of initiated all that. Uh, then someone else posted a piece of drone footage of Sam boating uh, the powerhouse line. And uh, so I took a screenshot of that drone footage that was posted in the comments of that thread and I started sending it around. I sent it to Clay Wright, Stephen Wright, because um, I knew you're from Tennessee based on your tags. And so I was trying to connect with people down there. Uh, word got back that it was you and Sam Davis. And so then I went onto your Facebook and I saw uh, that you were tagged in a photo with Albie Binkley. And I'm friends of Albie. So I called Albie. Albie is already en route down to Kanawha Falls. Um, it seemed like he was uh, responding. Uh, to a call from your family, I believe. Um, at this point, your family had been contacted. And so he just kind of jumped in the car, ran down there uh, with Matt Jackson and Zach Frisbee. Uh, they didn't have any gear, um, but I knew they were on their way down there when I was talking to them. And so I, was, I asked them, I was like, well, ask the DNR if they're going to let uh, me come out if I bring my gear down. Um, so as soon as I get there, I get off the phone with them. I start loading up my gear. I asked Paul Griffin, uh, who was at the house with me, uh, if he wanted to go, and Stephen Wright, and the Sorry, two of them Corey. said yes. I don't. I hate to interrupt, but what time is this? Yeah. Th okay. Yeah. This is. Um. I started seeing these posts around 9 p.m. Okay. So Sam had already. You swam around 6 p.m. I think, and um, so he had already at this point three hours. Search and rescue called off their rescue. Uh, efforts around uh, around that time that I was seeing the post because I saw in the post that they were calling off their efforts and I was like, all right, well, we need to go check because I'm sure they didn't check this spot. Um, so the back so, of your head um, thinking this is, if someone swims there, there's an excellent chance they're going to end up in this little pocket behind them. Yeah, it's kind of a now becoming notorious pocket. I've, I've rescued people out of that spot um, a handful of times already. I've seen other people uh, get pulled out of there. Um, so it, it is a spot that for search and rescue who are not really whitewater folks, they could easily overlook it, um, because it's tucked away and come to find out they're just in a John boat. And I don't think they got out on any of the they shore. Didn't the, they didn't have the boat capabilities to get close enough to like really have an angle to look over yeah. there. They didn't have the intuition to walk up top. Sam, did, yeah. you, did you see them or could you hear them looking for you? That's probably the lowest feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. It was watching them leave for the night and not be able to hear me. Um, <laughs> like one of the, 
like one of the biggest like like so the water was high but after dark hit like right at dark and right after dark the water rose by i would say a third and i have talked mm-hmm. to some other local boaters and the emts and they were saying that because of the hawk's nest reservoir being worked on upstream right now you know which has given us these hit lost new rapids nobody's seen in 80 years they're pushing a lot of water at night so like the veil I was behind that I was swimming into to go deep on to even get back there, Corey, it didn't look like that whenever I was going through all that. That veil probably doubled or tripled in size really? to what it was when you guys found me. Mm-hmm. And wow. what I didn't know until I talked to some people last night was that because of the acoustics of the cave, you guys could hear me screaming every time I screamed. Uh-huh. And then somebody screamed back to me for an hour and a half straight, man, I never heard a word of that. I could not hear you guys at all. Really? At all. But did, damn. Okay. Let's so that's back. why I kept screaming. I stopped screaming once you guys set up that uh, Trev the Rev from South Carolina had a spotlight, like a portable like work spotlight. And once that got set up, I stopped yelling as much because I knew you guys weren't leaving. But no, that, that was point, actually man, a cell phone, man. That was actually. I'll I'll, I'll get I'll get to that actually. Um, so back to. On our pursuit down there, we, we loaded up after the DNR said that we could go out there after Albie um, made contact with them. And um, so we rushed down there. We actually had to stop at the gas station to get batteries for a headlamp. So we had two headlamps and three cell phones. Um, we didn't have good lights, but I brought my climbing pack and I, we had all of our whitewater gear. And so we, we rushed down there, get down there um, pretty much immediately, just chit chat really quickly as we're putting on our gear, paddle out there. Um, and, and there's a an unsung hero in all this. There's this guy, Billy Hager, who's only been paddling a few months from He's a town. I talked to last night. I talked, yeah. Billy reached out to me last night, found my number. Yeah, and, yeah. and Billy, only been paddling a few months um, from Beckley, which is like oh, probably an hour and 15 minutes away from that, saw these same posts I did, and he showed up by himself. I mean, this guy has like, he's driving like a Cadillac with like, a, a, you know, foam on top of his car. That's, you know, like, and and he's really an unsung hero in this. He helped us. Um, so, anyways, we're in the parking lot. I'm like, Billy, get your gear together, because uh, he's a childhood friend. Um, and so, Stephen, Paul, Stephen Wright, Paul Griffin, um, and uh, Billy Hager and myself paddled across, and we went immediately to this spot, this pocket, and rolled up, and um, we had headlamps. Paul was the first one to make the approach, shined a light down there, heard you yell kind of looked around, noticed it wasn't any of us, and then it was like fireworks coming out of Paul's mouth. He was whistling. He's like, holy shit, he's alive. He's alive. And, uh, whoa, what a, like, crazy rush that was. Um, dude, I got cold chills just hearing it, dude. That moment must have – you'll know that. Yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, I mean, it really was. Like, all of us were just like, holy shit. Because, honestly, uh, we thought we were going down there for a recovery, um, to be quite honest. And – um uh, so we, 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 Paul made the comment when he put his hand in the water, when we were getting in to paddle across, he's like, the water's pretty warm. He could be alive. Um, and so there was like that slight bit of hope that was being passed around. And then we pulled up and sure enough, you were down there, man. And we were like, Oh my God. And this is pitch dark at this point. This is at 1030, 1030 when we finally made contact with Sam. So 
bro. That's already four and a half hours at this point. Um, so now it's just the four of us um, assessing what to do. Um, we knew that Sam was stable because, I mean, he had been there for so long and he's yelling back at us. So we, well, we knew he was stable to a certain extent. We knew it was an emergency, you know. Um, so we wanted to make contact with him. So we're trying to yell, which, man, it's crazy that I guess you could only see our lights. Yeah, man. Yep. That's why anytime you guys walked away to try to set up or figure out what you were doing, I started yep. screaming bloody murder because I didn't want to yep. be left again, man. Yeah, yeah. No, we could tell that. And so that's what we had Billy, this uh, new new boater that was there. Um, we just had him stand there with a light pointed on because we noticed anytime we turned the light away, you'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <you know>? like, <laughs> don't leave. Don't leave. And so we were like, all right, we got to keep you got to help keep Sam calm. And so that was like Billy's like job. We were like, and we wanted, we didn't know where you were at. We might thought you could be swimming in that eddy still. Like we didn't want you to jump out or anything like that. So we were like, all right, we got to keep eyes on him the whole time. So Billy stayed there with a light on you. Um, he was hollering his ass off the whole time too. That's what um, he was saying. He said, I felt helpless because I was yelling and I could tell you couldn't hear me because you kept yelling back. Like you did. I never heard him. It's really? Just, never heard him oh and so then paul steven and i began making assessments on what we were going to do we waded out to some of the kind of like rocks that were just under the water that were close to the lip because where it was dark we thought there might be a break in the veil that was like a straight shot to where sam was so we were like all right maybe we can get up above the veil and maybe lower a rope to him we, we assessed a different option for like maybe we could get a boat to him and he'd paddle out um we weren't exactly sure what we were going to do so we started waiting out um on tethered uh to our rescue vests and uh then there was like all right well we could get out to this one really sketchy spot right above the falls but and that steven was like i think i could do it and i was like man it would probably just be safer for us one of us to try and paddle the falls and um so then we recollected and um uh, Steven decided to stay up top and I decided to, uh, make the call to run the falls. And so I put on a headlamp and, uh, ran the falls into that eddy right at the veil. Did you know this, Sam? Did you see that? Yeah, I saw you. I was really hoping you weren't going to try to paddle back into where I was at when I saw you land. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. Cause there, there was a, I, oh, for sure, dude, for sure. I was like, uh, it was one of the sketchiest things I've done because you have a headlamp on your paddle in the middle, middle of the night. There's no moonlight. There's no moon out. And every time you take a paddle stroke, it would, you get blinded by the light. And like, we're talking like, this is a hard move. Like Sam's a good paddler and he, you know, got put in this situation. Like, so like, this is a hard move to make. It's like high volume waterfall with a gnarly eddy and veil that it's getting sucked into. So it was like by no means like an easy move. And, um, uh, I dropped down into there. I normally always paddle with glasses on, but I had my contacts at this point. And so I'm like getting sprayed by the mist. I have a head injury from skiing that messes with my vision. And um, I was like disoriented. Thank God Paul was like yeah, on the shore bank saying up, 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 you know, because I was starting to get sucked back into there. So anyways, I made a few spins around in that eddy saw the break in the veil and realized it was just rock and that you were totally back in that pocket. So we had located exactly where you were, which helped a lot. And then I peeled out of that in front of the undercut and got back up top. 
at this point we knew that we weren't going to be able to get you out by just the four of us so we had to call in reinforcements <laughs> and uh so we made a call to albie and josh collins albie binkley and josh collins and albie was able to get i got their names and i'm probably missing one or two of them because they're just as much heroes as anyone else um aaron erdrich joel winblot jake Ulrich and Ben Jorkman. There may have been one or two people that I'm missing that I tried to get everyone's names. Uh, they showed up in the middle of the night. By this point, it's like midnight. Um, and because we knew we didn't want to lower a rope just down a, to Sam. Just a quick side note. Those yeah. guys are, uh, Aaron is a very good friend of mine. He uh, flew out from Portland. I paddled in White Salmon on the truss with him earlier this summer for the first time. Um, he took me down the Middle Fork Salmon on his permit back in May of 2018. Um, very, 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 very close friend. And so that was a, that was a friend group when they got the call from Albert, they already had their rafts loaded from the day before cause they were going to paddle the next morning. And they said they were driving so fast. They passed the DNR vehicle that had the boat trailer on the back with the motorboat. So they Sweet. were going like 90 and passed those guys. <laughs> on the way to get down there. Oh, that's awesome because DNR and first responder sat on the shore bank the whole time during all of this. <laughs> There's like 40 of them with their thumbs up their ass. I don't know what the hell. That's a whole <laughs> that's other thing we got to get into after this show. Yeah. Because... Um, and they showed up on the scene and uh, at, at this time, Stephen and I paddled back across the lake to get to the first responder and say, hey, we need help because we knew we only had one chance if we were going to lower this rope down to Sam. We weren't going to be able to pull him out. We knew that Sam was probably too tired to pull himself out. It's going to be up through the veil of the waterfall, and we had to have like a crew that was going to basically yank him up and out um, once we lowered down a rope. And so we knew we only had that kind of that one chance. Um, so luckily those boys show up and, uh, paddle across with us when we, I was trying to get the swift water rescue crew and like the fire department to come with us. And they said they were going to come, but they never did. Um, and so it was just, it was just the whitewater community that, um, showed up to do this. And I, and uh, I hate to interrupt again, but it's funny reading the news reports because they give a lot of credit <laughs> <laughs> the swift water Jim Justice, the governor yeah totally botched that because he tried to turn it into his first responder yeah uh that's a whole nother thing i'm, I'm uh, sorry continue yeah, yeah i got pretty upset about that um because there's it was the community at work not not these first responders the same way the Chattooga has a group of people that they call when someone goes missing, like every river town needs that, like the Chattooga has. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And not just not just river towns. You know, think about mountain bikers, rock climbers. They're going to know the terrain and know the area better than anybody. And mm-hmm. we should have every first responder group should have a group of people on speed dial that if they can't do something, they can enable the community to come out and do something. Mm-hmm. And that's what we pulled together was that kind of community. And uh, they acted quickly and got out there. And then um, at this point, we were like, all right, we got enough boys. We got a rope. Um, and so we hooked up carabiner. I mean, it's pretty simple system. It was just carabiner on the end of a rope. And and then the, the key was that we hooked a, a headlamp on the, on the rope, too, so that Sam could see it. And... Um, I have to give a shout out to Steven Wright for uh, he was very much um, 
I mean, top of the line, like in organizing this stuff and just keeping like group dynamics together. Um, he, he definitely was the leader and all that. And, uh, so then at that point we lowered down the rope to, to Sam and Sam, I'd like to hear your, your perspective at this point. What, what was it that you saw the light or what? Oh man, I got so fired up and excited. It was at the <laughs> end of my ledge I was standing on though. And so uh-huh. that whole inside wall, once the veil rose at dark, that wall was also had water coming in, flowing down it. So like mm-hmm. when I was standing in there, I couldn't even lean up against the wall. I was having to stand erect against mm. the wall, you know, and to fight the hypothermia, I had pulled my skirt up higher as high mm-hmm. as I could get it. And mm-hmm. I had crossed my, and my shirt was long sleeve. So I got it down around my hands and I got my arms crossed and I got my hands under and then I tied my PFD up on the top of my chest, not so much lower. Um, and I was measuring my heart rate. Anytime I got close to 60 beats per minute, I was knowing I was going into the first bits of hypothermia. So I would start doing like squats or like leg lifts or damn dude, back and forth. Anything I could do down in there to fight the hypothermia. I actually, I had two Lara bars and I was about 30 minutes away from eating the first one when you guys showed up. So I actually walked away with two Lara bars. <laughs> but, Just reserved. <laughs> no, dude, I was trying to make it till daylight. So when I saw that, it was at the end of my ledge and I couldn't hardly reach it. And a couple times I like got it and was pulling it over to untie the headlamp. And then you guys yanked the rope up. Yeah. And, the yeah, rope went yeah. Away and it was like, oh, no, 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 come back. Come <laughs> yeah. back. I need that. <laughs> Um, so that, but yes, yeah, so you guys finally got it down to me. I was able to get enough slack to get it over to me, get the headlamp off. Um, I remember from my Swiftwater rescue class with Will Norris at the NOC, huge shout out to those guys and their attention to detail that your quick release belt won't always quick release. If it's twisted through the latch mechanism, like through the belay before it goes into the latch. So I twisted my strap twice and then ran it before I hooked up because I was like, man, I really do not want this quick release to come off and go face first into this watery grave I have been avoiding for so many hours. Yeah, yeah. So I hooked up in the back and they pulled me up the first attempt. The rope slipped back into the crack where the rocks meet. And uh-huh. you guys were like crushing me into the roof of the cave. Because um, <laughs> the rope like stops. Like... <laughs> like almost broke a rib, but didn't which was awesome i was able to get like a face and like a half of an arm through the veil and yell yeah. stop that i needed slack i remember and that you guys gave me slack and at that point i just kind of started climbing on the rocks uh-huh to get out from under the edge climb through the veil i don't remember who it was that grabbed my pfd first to help me steven to get up mm-hmm. and over that ledge and up and over that i just remember laying on that rock and aaron Erdrich, my good buddy just hugging me and telling me that it was you guys and putting a jacket on me and just like laying on that rock beside me. Oh man. That was when we pulled you up. I remember like the last five feet of yanking you and we like, we didn't want you to fall back in by any means. So we like yanked you five feet further up onto the rock. We like <laughs> dragged you like further. <laughs> and <Yeah>. then... <laughs> my finger, my finger got stuck under the rope and the rock. I didn't even know it was torn up. until I was in the ambulance later, you know, like, <laughs> so much adrenaline oh my gosh that has got to be the most epic rescue i've ever heard seriously 
40 years of paddling. That's that's number one. Oh, my God, dude. And, and, a, and a positive outcome with a... Right? I mean, I know. A, yeah. a bloodied up finger, that was the worst of the whole thing? Is that what I mean? Yeah, hearing? just bruises and scrapes uh, and a little bit of muscle damage from hanging onto the rock with one arm to get that carabiner in the crack. I've been having to drink a lot of water. I've been drinking like 12 to 15 bottles of water a day so that my kidneys don't hurt. But, you know... Corey, was there ever a point... Get that problem. I'll be all right. <laughs> Corey, was there ever a point when you guys were considering live baiting someone in there? Yes, uh, there was. Um, we thought for a second that was going to be the only way, and we were going to do that if this attempt failed of just lowering the rope down. Because none of us wanted to go down there. It was gnarly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like you're going through a veil of the waterfall down to them, you know, like... You're going into it, the unknown. You're just like... Yeah, totally into the unknown. Oh, man. And, and you couldn't see anything down there. I mean, you were in pitch dark. Could you see anything when you were in there? Or was it just like this so abyss? I had, I had like starlight through the crack that you're talking about where it just went to rock, the break in the veil. Uh-huh. I, I could see like two to three stars through the top of that break in the veil. Um, and when Search and Rescue was out there, there was quite a bit of light. Now, obviously, once you guys had the lights shining on the veil, yeah, um, and uh, the guy from South Carolina had gotten uh, his light set up, it totally illuminated back there. The wall, the light was refracting mm -hmm. through the veil. I mean, I had full full light back there at that point. That's good. Yeah, when those boys showed up, they brought more lights. Didn't hear anything. <laughs> oh, crazy. You know, it was. Uh, it was terrible, man. I will never, ever in my life go kayaking by myself again. And I've got a lot of friends that do. And I'm going to no longer not give them shit about it. because they're, they're all really, really, really capable, really, really talented boaters. A lot better boaters than I am. Yeah, Geltman. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's talking to you, Geltman. <laughs> <laughs> man, so outside, obviously, of paddling alone, you know, what are some other takeaways? that you guys got out of this wait before we move into this just quickly <laughs> i would just like i would like to hear sam's like like just tell me about like your like mental dialogue through this thing i mean like are you yeah. i mean are you're you're thinking are you thinking like this is it or are you thinking i'm gonna just gonna hold out like this until morning and just totally staying focused on what you're on where and, you're at like i mean yeah, just with, so like tell I, me how that I mean, that's a long time man like it is and there was a lot of different like i faced the reality of more of my morality and and like yeah just i i faced my own mortality so many times in that cave in so many different ways i mean that first 45 seconds under the undercut was my worst experience in whitewater to date if it had just been the 45 seconds mm -hmm. you know and then getting gassed and, 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 you know, thinking about like, man, this isn't fair to my sister who I talked to on the phone last before I came out here. This isn't fair to my girlfriend. Like, I want to see her again. It wasn't saying like, I don't, I don't want to die. It was saying, man, I just want to see these people again. Like, I want to do this again. There was one point where I was thinking about looking over the Smokies and I was like, man, I'm never going to see the Smokies again. And... Like, that's who I am to my core. And I pushed off the wall and swam a little harder on that lap, trying to get back oh, yeah, in the back yeah. pocket. You know, it just, 
it was a complete bat like and and then once they left me the mind shit set like really shifted so like every second is a battle you, you're you're gonna fight hypothermia like it was in the 40s that night like and i was standing barefoot in the water i've got a little bit of foot rot on my toes from it but just the mindset was like either you're gonna be or you're not gonna be and that's the only two options because i i had faced the reality of i can't come out of here there's no way i can get myself out of here I'm going to have to just wait until morning. And if somebody doesn't come by X amount of point in the morning, I was going to try to swim in front of the undercut with a lower water level again. That was, that was where I was at. It was just a matter of, yeah, I, I, I don't know how many times I said, I'm not going to fucking die in here today. Fuck. Yeah. You know, dude. I, I think I was three. Yeah. So. What time did you guys pull him on, pull him onto the rock? What time was the rest? It was about 1245 AM. That's what I was told. So six plus hours. Yep. Oh man, props all around to you guys. Seriously. I mean, and just, I mean, just your intuition there, Corey, just to go with it. I mean that right there. I mean, looking back, like what what made you go with that? Was there an experience you had there or something? Like what mm -hmm. made you commit to checking that out? Um, you know, the, after we got back that night, I didn't sleep all night until the morning because I felt guilty that I even entertained the idea of not going down there. I mean, I was like shooken up about that. You know what I mean? I was like, wow, like Sam would have had the most hellacious potential death if he was standing on that rock fighting for his life. Like you just heard everything he went through, like to know that. And I was just like, wow, I can't even believe that i was entertaining the idea and all it was was laziness you know like i was sitting on the couch i was about to go to bed i was in my pajamas and i was watching this stuff unfold and i was just like holy shit like damn i'm gonna feel awful if there i didn't do something and paul said the same thing he was sitting right next to me he's like fuck it we should go and um i was in communication with steve and i asked him if he wanted to go he's like yeah so he right now is parked across the street from us and we went and picked him up and um you know, the energy was pretty low going down there. And uh, that, I, I don't know. Just everyone experiences in their life, there's like moments of however you want to explain it, like grace, like opportunity. And there's so, everyone experiences those. And it's if you reach out and you take advantage of it, you know, that's how people build their lives up. And it was just one of those moments where, there was something that was going on and I felt like I could make a difference and I was at least going to try, you know, that's just kind of my mentality when it comes to anything like, you know, and so that, oh, that's I, just... I'm really, 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 really glad that you didn't stay in your pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's honestly, I've been joking about it this whole time. That was the crux of the whole rescue was peeling my ass off the couch, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, I think that's the crux for a lot of people's life is peeling your ass off the couch to go do something. Like that, Amen you know? to that. That's, hey, yeah. and I just want to, I want to reiterate again, just like how thankful I am also to, to Felicia for, for doing the intuition work and for calling the police right. and the DNR officer seeing the drone footage guy had left a note like, oh, got badass footage of you. Here's my number. So they call him and they ask what the color of the boat in the video was. And they say, well, that's what's floating in the lake. And that's what initially got them to call my parents to call search and rescue him 
you know, my parents were halfway up here before they even knew I was alive up, up to West Virginia. You know, I can't imagine what they were thinking or having to go through. And props to Albert Binkley for telling my mom that I was alive and getting her to stop crying when he told me later he didn't believe that himself when he was saying it. And throwing everybody into action and calling, calming my mom down. And they got, I mean, they had half of Fayette County's voters out in that parking lot, you know, like it's super humbling, super humbling. You know? Dude, what an incredible story. And it just, I don't know. I've got cold chills like 35 times to you guys telling this story. This is, uh, this is pretty amazing. Such a great piece. Albert got a clicks in first thing too. He he followed the ambulance to the hospital and he waited in Charleston. So when they discharged me at like six thirty seven a.m., he said, "Come here." And he slapped me in the face. And then he made me turn the <laughs> cheek and take it on the other side. <laughs> Lewis, what were you saying? I didn't catch that. Oh, just I mean, it's just such a great piece of like good news, you know? Like it's just like I don't know, like when I saw the story a couple nights ago or whenever it was, it's just like just made me feel so good, you know, obviously from a long distance away, but just like I don't know, there's just so much so much to feel down about. It's just like even cooler to hear the story from you guys and just makes you feel better about the world, you know? Like so true. This was a piece of paddling news that brought our office to a to a complete halt. And we all stopped and were talking about it for like ten or fifteen minutes. And we're pretty, we're pretty jaded when it comes to paddle sports news. <laughs> but it was a story where, like, what kayaker doesn't relate to what happened to Sam, right? I mean, we all know that could happen. You know what I mean? But at the same time, how many times have you dreamed about being part of a rescue like this? You know? And it coming out on the positive. Yeah, it's such a. It's I don't know. As a kayaker, it's uh, it's an amazing story, absolutely amazing. So takeaways: don't ever give up. Um, don't ever give up, man. Don't, don't ever give up on a rescue, you know. From um, Sam's point of view and ours, you know, we thought it was a recovery, but just goes to show, go go down there and find out. Wear a rescue vest. Strap your booties tighter. <laughs> or I would say, think about NRS in terms of your gear supplier, maybe. <laughs> Hey, yeah, Sam, I will make sure. <laughs> I can't get astrals in a slicey boat, all right? <laughs> hey, I will make sure that you get a new pair of NRSs out of this show. That is for, that is for damn sure. Holy shit. There you go. Um, what else? What else from the top, Corey? What else can our listeners learn if they're ever in any kind of situation like this? What were the, the keys to coordinating, you know, just having the point man as Steven, keeping everybody on task? What what? What can we learn from your guys' perspective? Yeah, I think that uh, it's important to note that how we went about the authorities, because typically when you come up onto a, a uh, search and rescue situation, the authorities are going to push you away. And because, and, you know, everyone knows the number one rule of a rescue is don't create another rescue. They know that they don't want some random people coming up and making it a, a bigger situation. And so we really had to be. Uh, we we had to present ourselves as professionals, you know, and, and not come off as these like hoodlums, hoodlums that are just going out to try to do something. So if you do have the knowledge and you are, you do think that you have the skill set to help, then make the action. You have to give that personal assessment. You don't want to go in there and create another rescue or something just trying to be a hero. I think that's important to know that um, if there is someone that has that skill set, let them kind of take the lead. 
so we had to convince the DNR of that, and um, and and they said yes. And so that was uh, the second crux after following the intuition of getting up off my ass, and um, and and then just being prepared, uh, you know, knowing different systems and and knowing what to that we could do safely within our skill set you know like it took a lot of personal uh examination like right before i ran that drop to see if i could get down there you know that was definitely a risky move but i'd done it a lot paddled there a lot so making sure that you're just within your skill set um is a a a big big takeaway to not create another rescue situation And, and like i said being professional in front of the rescue uh personnel man you guys are whitewater kayakers of the year 2020 seriously done deal i'm humbled to have you all say that seriously man again man we need a beer sometime man if you ever if you're ever paddling in the smokies or in the south man hell yeah we should definitely have a beer sam i'd be stoked to if you guys come to the green race beers are on me as much as you want. <laughs> For sure, man. Holy smokes. Whew, man, does anybody have anything else they'd like to add? That is just an amazing story. And I'll be honest, I got to like listen to it a couple times here to just grasp it all. I mean, I'm blown away. I just can't imagine. It's so violent when you're in a situation like that in a cave, big veil of water, like just the noise and the energy and just living in that environment for so long sam i mean did you numb to it i've never been that disoriented in time i had no idea what time it was when y'all pulled me out like absolutely zero concept of time and the sun had not gone down but it hadn't been that many hours since the sun had gone down but like you're saying it's just so disorienting and loud back there you totally lose concept of time that's what i was wondering if you just did you, was there any like out of body experience or something being in the dark only with your thoughts like or was like what what did you no not I couldn't lean on the wall so it's kind of having to prop my helmet against the roof on the one side um, my legs would get gassed and I'd have to you know scream motivate I'm not gonna die in here whatever do squats. Mm-hmm like leg lifts. I had an ACL surgery back in January. So, you know, quarantine was, Holy I was shit. already quarantined when everybody else quarantined because I was learning how to walk again. But, you know, I've been back. I'm back where I, I actually worked Monday night football the week before, uh, up in New York, the Pittsburgh game, Pittsburgh Steelers, <laughs> New York giants. So I'm, I'm back, I'm running, I'm back, you know, but mm-hmm. still my legs were getting pretty tired. <laughs> So you're going to run those falls again, you reckon? Or no? We're done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with a yeah, massive same. group of people at low <laughs> <laughs> that, that, That's another thing to take away is like if, uh, you know, Kanawha Falls is starting to become more and more popular since we had that festival there. And uh, it, it's sketchy. Like people think that it's not sketchy looking at it, you know, first off the, the first glance. But, I mean, there are sieves that are out there. They're huge. Like the biggest crack sieve i've ever seen exists out there um there's multiple different channels and just don't blindly go out there y'all whoever's listening to this make sure that you i'm gonna make a video that a beta video of all these spots that i'm aware of um and so 
be on the lookout for that if you're wanting to learn about that spot because you know Kanawha Falls has been uh, it, it's owned by Brookfield Energy Company and and it's been a very sensitive topic being able to get us to be able to paddle out there and and that's why it hasn't been popular in the past is because you used to get fined and then there's a switch in management and I made a connection with them and a relationship to say hey like we could do this safely we should allow us to start paddling out there and um, and, and we've had that this whole time. And, uh, so just being safe, affecting that so you don't potentially ruin it for others. If you go out there, you know, yeah, it's a very similar parking hook to rock Island and, uh, all the boaters around rock Island, you know, Steve and clay, all of them, they kind of have the same mentality too, and kind of have the level information and kind of, not censor, but in a way censor who's out there paddling just like they like to know um, because they don't want to ruin access, you know. And I, it's such an incredible spot. It runs more than Rock Island, and it's into a lake in most spots. So, you know, I I am sorry if I in any way have messed up any kind of access, but I would think this would help. We're with good, access. buddy. We're good. <laughs> don't worry. I've been talking to a lot of people. We're good. I would point out Valley Falls. I think is in the same category as well. Because Valley Falls is a thing that, to a lot, to the, to a somewhat, even to a trained eye, looks like a, a piece of cake. But there's been many, many close calls with kayakers, including myself. One of the closest I've ever come to drowning when I was a kid was at Valley Falls. Um, and then I've, I've watched a couple of uh, pretty good kayakers come get really badly beaten down in there at, at higher water. It just looks, it looks like it's really straightforward, but it's not. So I don't want to interject too much here this is your story but that is i think falls in that same category Mm -hmm. certainly i think there's another discussion i mean we don't have time to get into it right now but that discussion of when the rescue personnel personnel need to know or make the decision to hand it over to someone who Mm -hmm. has a little more knowledge and a little more understanding of that situation I think Certainly. the key the key is to establishing those relationships ahead of time rather than frantically trying to explain yourself at the time of an emergency. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's not. And I think you guys hit it right on the head. That and, oh, sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, we've tried that in the past because the 2016 floods that happened in West Virginia, there was a lot of white water people that responded to that to help. And yeah. uh, it's just hard getting through the like local authorities and i don't know if it's well this this story right here is exhibit a through q on why this should happen Uh right Mm -hmm. i mean if there's no better example of why this is this would be an essential just you know point of discussion Mm -hmm. and and i'm i'm working with that i've already had a lot of meetings with the dnr and uh some of our uh state senate uh, senators and stuff so we definitely have that relationship down here on the green but it's only on that river, which is what's funny. Um, hmm. But I don't know. That's an essential thing that it would be really nice if it worked out where there was that pod of people that were on speed dial, like you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. in the show. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, even if it works one out of 20 times, that's one out of 20 times, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a growing need around here, too, because now the New River Dries are being released and it's not the park service that manages that it's the DNR and who's the DNR going to call, you know, it's totally inaccessible. If you're hiking in, I mean, it would take so long to get down in there. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that I've been 
points I've been bringing up and, and hopefully, you know, if you keep up with what I'm doing, hopefully we'll have a good outcome and we'll have this team organized soon. Man, thank you guys so much for coming yeah, on the show. I mean, that was awesome. Sam, that's an emotional, heavy thing to talk about. You too, Corey. And, man, I appreciate you guys coming on and doing it. I think there was a lot to learn from this discussion. So, Thank you guys sure. so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys so much. Glad, glad. Yeah. yeah, just so glad this ended the way it did. It's awesome. Yeah, dog. This is great news. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, reach yeah, out yeah. if you need anything, and I'll uh, be in touch after we get done recording here with a couple little tidbits. Sweet. Right. Awesome. Hey, and Lewis, um, it would be awesome to catch up with you sometime. I'm an executive director of a watershed group down here and lobbied for uh, LWCF, and I'd love to talk to you. Awesome, dude. Yeah, for sure. Hit me up. Cool. Thanks, y'all. All right, guys. See y'all. Have a good one. Thanks. Man. I don't really know how to, you know, I got to re-listen to that before I can fully digest the graphic story, man. Just like, just so, it's like just very moving, like hearing those guys tell that story, man. Yeah. Don't ever quit, I mean, it's still raw, you know. Don't ever quit. I mean, that's the first time those guys have spoken. You know, that's like how fresh this is in everybody's minds nice work getting those guys on grace that's cool man i feel like we probably did scoop a lot of people that. <laughs> well i just saw it and i was like this is a story i want to i mean pretty much everything that comes on the hammer factor is like i want to hear that <laughs> first of all we gave a half hour and we kayakers talking to kayakers it's not like so when you shot the rapids with your raft at what point <laughs> did you execute the rescue <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what we're going to get everywhere else. So we have that going for us. Yeah. Man. Oh, God, that's heavy. That is so heavy. I mean, just. Man. The authorities thing is definitely something. We were. One quick story before we get into the rest of the show here. Uh, we I was in California in uh, Sequoia National Park paddling the Cahuilla one time. And we rolled up and. You know, we were getting ready to put on and up there near where you put on at the park picnic area. I don't know the name of it. I can't remember the name of it. There's like law enforcement everywhere. Immediately we roll up and we're like, oh, God, we're screwed. What do we do? They just flag us right over and we're like, okay, we're done. We're done battling here. You know, whatever's going on. And taps on the window. We roll the window down. And he's like, hey, guys, you planning on paddle this river? And we're like, yeah. Not sure what to say, and they're like, "Well, um, you know, we'd love to talk to you because there was a uh, a little nine-year-old boy who got swept into the river, and like we look around, and there's just all these family members, and they couldn't find the kid, and they enlisted our help to get in there to some of the spots and see if we could find this child because the family had totally refused to leave." Like, period. They were like, we're not leaving until we find this kid. We went down the river, and we did our best to look out. It was definitely one of the more uh, somber trips down the upper or, or the middle Kauia that I've ever had. But we didn't find anything. But, I mean, it was interesting that they enlisted our help, I guess is the point of that. Yeah. There was, you know, a few years ago, we had this, like, informally organized uh, CISPUS festival. And some guys who were not 
really a part of that, but it just like come up, like had a incident on the Cispus and one guy broke his femur down at the bottom of this Canyon. And, uh, search and rescue guys came with like the rope truck to try to extract this guy. And it like really quickly became clear that the search Where and rescue he? guys, Where did this um, happen? do you know, the Island drop? I think yeah. he swam between the two, the two drops and, uh, like, broke his leg as he was going over the second one and so there's he a road was like, like on, way up on river right or something right but it's, it's closer yeah it's closer than you think but it's like probably 500 feet down okay. and the search and rescue guys were there and but they like didn't really know what to do but it was the with the ropes team but abe herrera was there and i guess at some point he had been like instructing the search and rescue guys on like rope stuff and they let him just absolutely take over the entire rescue and was like, this is what we're doing. Like, here's how we're doing it. And like, you know, just immediately took charge, like directed all the kayakers, all the search and rescue guys. And we had, you know, like a thousand meters of climbing rope from this truck that the search and rescue guys had driven up there. So we were able to do this like really complicated, involved rescue that involves like, you know, pulling a guy up on a litter and like sort of traversing him across the river on the rope. But, you know, all of this happened because the search and rescue guys were willing to like not only just let the kayakers get involved, but actually like let Abe take over the rescue and like tell those guys what to do. And, you know, we were able to effectuate this thing. I mean, they were talking about trying to get like a helicopter or something, which is going to take, you know, half a day. And Abe was like, no, no, like, I got this, like, do as I tell you. And, you know, to those guys' credit, they listened to him and we were able to, like, get this thing done. <laughs> we did a rescue, or I did a rescue with the, the Thomas West Virginia Fire Department <laughs> out of the, out of the, uh, out of the uh, North Fork of the Blackwater. And it was me and a half a dozen, I'm going to say, you know, big, big boys for sure. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get down to the canyon this thing and it was it was a scene man <clears throat> i hate to generalize but there's some big boys that end up on search and rescue teams i don't quite know what it is about that but yeah the fitness level was not high let's just put it that <laughs> way yeah you got to watch your terminology weld you got to say okay a bit of i want to get into that because i don't know I, this is this is something that's been well yeah, we'll get to it when we get to it. Well, it well, do we want to talk about it right now? Do we want to bring Kara on and get a race recap here and just kind of get to the bottom of this? <laughs> sure, let's do it. I mean, is Kara around to give us an hey. upper yacht race recap? Hey, Kara, you ready? <laughs> tell when the kids get back from Japanese tutor, tell them that Suri made them green drinks for lunch. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling her. All right. I'm still blown away from that story. I'm probably not going to come back too. to full speed until we. Until Jesus. I know, I'm like emotionally exhausted just from having heard that. <laughs> I know. What a story. What a story indeed. All right. Welcome to the Hammer Factor Upper Yacht Race organizer, Kara Weld. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah. Thanks for coming. So. Feels like a. Uh, lifetime ago, the Upper Yacht Race. <laughs> so, Kara, tell us how the race went. Okay, we'll conclude part one of this episode right there. Uh, next episode, we'll get right into the Upper Yacht Race. Bring on Mean Booth, get into the listener mail, rants and raves, all the good stuff. Want to give a huge thank you and shout out to Corey and Sam for sharing that amazing story. Uh, that was pretty much mind blowing. 
and appreciate everyone for listening and we'll get you on the second half of this episode here in a couple days.